This thing has been called the Great Escape. That's what we're talking about, the book of Exodus. We're, this is going to be our 28th message. Last week we had a little bit of a, uh, we talked about an amazing message last week, which was called Honoring the Lord. Last week in our message titled Honoring the Lord, we saw how the Israelites adjusted to God's provision of the manna in the wilderness and watched them begin to adjust their lives to be reverent toward Him. This progression took place as they learned to not only trust God more, but also give Him the respect that He deserved. The natural result of these two factors is obedience. And seeing the picture God painted before our eyes through the lives of God's people, we recognized our own struggles to give the Lord the respect that He's due through our own disobedience. This week, the challenges and the struggles will continue as God's people will face adversity yet again in our message, which is titled, A Memorial of Fear. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I love you. I want to tell you that I'm thankful to be here. Thank you, Lord, for another day of life. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity you've given me, Lord, not only to be with these amazing people uh, and to feel your spirit here. And, Lord, we just pray, Father, that your, your hand will be upon everything here, be upon Brother Sam, be upon the, the EMTs, be upon the family. Pray, God, that you just continue to guide. We trust you, Lord, and we know that uh, you're in control. And, uh, Father, we pray for this message, Lord, that you will direct it. God, I know that you've spoken to me, and my prayer and my request is you would now speak through me. That the words I share would not be the ones that I would personally choose, but the very ones that you would put upon my tongue. If there's something I'm supposed, that I want to say, but you want to remove it, Lord, just do it. Help me to disappear, that you might appear. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, and we're going to pick up in our story here. Now, what's happened? The Israelites have just come out of the wilderness of sin, and when they arrive from this journey, they are hot and they are thirsty. Exodus 17, verse number 1. And all the congregation of children of Israel journeyed from the wilderness of sin after their journeys according to the commandment of the Lord and pitched in Rephidim, and there was no water for the people to drink. Now, as we go into Numbers 33, we can look in there, verses 12 through 14, we actually see that they went to several other places, but Rephidim is the first place that's really of note that we're going to pay attention to. Okay? So they're going exactly, and they are exactly where God intended them to be. Many times in our lives, we're going to go where we think we're right where we're supposed to be, and at the same point in time, we're still going to find ourselves in trouble. How many of us have ever really been serving the Lord? We feel like, man, I'm surrendered to God. I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. In fact, I'm where I'm supposed to be. I'm even in church, man. I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. Yet we still find adversity coming our way. Understand, adversity is not always a bad thing, right? It's not always a bad thing. It's actually a tool that God uses for us. So it's a matter of, because, you know, we have the mindset of this. It's kind of like, you know, well, look, if I'm doing right, and if I'm obedient to God, and I'm reading the Bible, it should be pretty smooth sailing. I mean, I'm one of God's children. Shouldn't things just be peachy keen, right? Where's that peace that passeth all understanding? Shouldn't that be resting upon me at all times? It's not the case. How many of us can attest that that's not the case? Yeah. You're going to go through adversity because God has a purpose for it. And what we've looked at, if we've seen how God's addressed this principle and this idea again and again in the Scripture. 2 Timothy 3.12 says this, Yea, and all that will get, live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 10 says this, Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities. This is Paul. I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, being in want, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak... Then am I strong, right? So what he's learning is the fact he says, look, I'm in these, all of these are adversities. Yet in these, he's saying, look, I'm learning to actually appreciate my adversities. Huh. That's a kind of a radical thought. Not many of us deal with adversity and go, man, right on. Hope another one comes in a few minutes. This is excellent, right? <laughs> this is awesome. I stubbed my toe. Now can I smash my head? That'd be great, right? 
We don't have that mindset. But what Paul's saying, he said, look, you know what? I actually recognize through these things that it's forcing me to realize that I'm weak. And the fact that when I'm weak, I'm actually strong the more I depend upon God. And God's trying to help us to see that. Trials and tribulations are a part of who we are. And what happens is many of us times we struggle with the fear that comes with adversity. It's a natural byproduct of humanity, okay? And we know what Moses told them back at the parting of the Red Sea. Remember when they stood there at the parting of the Red Sea? And he says, fear not, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord. Yeah. Right before that, they're going, hey, you know what? This is a bad scene. What have you done to us? You've got us in a no-win situation. There's, a, there's an army behind us. There's walls of rock on either side. There's an ocean in front. Whoa, 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 what was the plan here? You brought us here just to be killed? Were there not enough graves in Egypt? You need to come us out here and murder us? And yet God says, stand still. Be not afraid. First thing he says, fear not. Fear not. Because he knows who we are, right? And so he's trying to help them to recognize the fact that learning how to trust God. And what happens is God is testing and trying his people. He's testing them to see how they'll respond. Now let's see how they do. Verse 2. Wherefore the people did chide with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. And Moses said unto them, Why chide ye with me? Wherefore do you tempt the Lord? And look, back in chapter 16, we saw where God actually talked to them. He warned them in four different times. He said, When you murmur against Moses, you're murmuring against me. You're actually speaking against me. We know God's presence is in this location because he shows up as a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. So he's actually there. They can see God's presence, yet they're going to become more and more irreverent towards God. And there's an interesting principle we're going to look at in a couple minutes, which is just staggering how we watch this progression of the faith of the Israelites. Verse 3, And the people thirsted there for water, and the people murmured against Moses and said, Wherefore is this that thou hast brought us up out of Egypt to kill us? Look at this and our children and our cattle with thirst. Okay, so reacting to their circumstances and caught up in their emotions, the people fall right back into their same pattern of behavior, and they react without, in fear, but not faith. Hasn't God proven himself at this point? Yeah. I mean, we've already watched the ten plagues come through. We've seen how they were protected through every one of those. We've seen how he made provision for them for the Passover. He protected their cattle so they'd have the Passover lamb so they could follow him and be obedient. We've seen how he made sure that their bread could not be leavened, so he rushed them out of Egypt so they had unleavened bread so they could honor him with that. God's made provision after provision after provision. He's going to expect them to build a tabernacle. And when they left Egypt, guess what they were given? Gobs of gold and fine linen. God's made provision, provision, provision. And yet again, here in the midst of this moment, they don't go. God's always taking care of us. Look at how much he's done, they go, oh, you just brought us here to die? You just brought us here? What? They're not looking at God. They're looking at their fear, their emotion, right? And we know that we've all dealt with this. It's got to be frustrating. We look at them and we go, man, how frustrating it must be to watch them flip-flop. Because just a little while ago, within a matter of weeks or so, they were literally celebrating God and claiming all these great victories in that song we saw in, verse 15, in chapter 15. They sang and sang and sang of this great celebration of God. And yet here we see them flip-flopping. Imagine we look at it and we're frustrated. Imagine what God feels when he looks at us. Because how many of us are guilty of flip-flopping? Right? One day, God is good. He's got this, man. Oh, yeah, brother. What are you worried about, man? No big deal. Well, you just got $1,000 off on your car. I don't have $1,000. I don't have $1,000. What's going to happen, man? My car's broke. Oh, man, i, I got to get me into the job. I, gotta, I don't know what I'm going to do. Maybe I can sell some blood. <laughs> right? <laughs> right? 
We just start losing it. We're not going, hey, God's got this. When adversity comes, we fall right into the same pattern and God's going, hello, have I not carried you through to this point? You knuckleheads. That's us. That's us. And when we look at them, we want to make fun of them. Remember, it's us. Okay? Now, what's happened is interesting with them is they actually, they, they imagine the worst case scenario, right? They go, you brought us out here to thirst to death. At this point, no one's dead. No one's died of thirst. They're not going, look, people are falling everywhere. They're dying everywhere. God, please save one or two of us left. No one's died. They're thirsty at this point. Now, that's the whole thing. They look at what could be, and they make it bigger in their minds, right? They create an imaginary scenario, and it becomes bigger and bigger and bigger. And they react to it as if it's an inevitability. That's a hard word, it's inevitability. As if it's, as if it's, as if it's gonna happen, right? And you and I do the same thing. We start collecting facts of what could be going on. Well, my wife's late from, she's late. She should have been here about 20 minutes ago. Well, you know what? She could be in a car, I mean, goodness gracious, she could be hit by a tractor trailer right now. And, and if she's in a tractor, she's probably trapped in the car. She could be crying right now and I'm not out there. I better get my car and go find her, oh, right? Am I the only one? I've done that before, I'm just telling you. <laughs> she didn't answer her phone, I'm like, oh, I gotta go out, right? Because <laughs> we create these scenarios in our minds and we react, I mean, dude, my heart's racing. Nothing's happened. It's all imaginary at this point in time, but I'm, my heart's racing, I'm imagining all these things and I'm like, oh, I've already seen the end result and I'm like, oh, I'm stressing out, right? So we deal with this stuff, this panic that goes on, all based purely upon conjecture. And it's amazing how we allow that to happen. But we see this in the Israelites. Their MO is our MO. The way they react is the way we react. So many times we do this and we live in our fear, jumping to conclusions, always, always in a reactionary mode instead of a trusting mode, okay? Instead of a trusting mode. Consider this, okay? The behavior that we see with these Israelites. If you go back to Exodus 5, okay, when we were back there, in Exodus 5 was the very first time we saw them kind of freak out a little bit. And what happened was that's whenever the Pharaoh took away the straw. And they were like, you know, we're with you, Moses. And all of a sudden they're like, hey, 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 whoa, what's going on? This is your twice as much work. This is not cool. And they had a little bit of an issue there. But then we go from Exodus 5 all the way to Exodus 14. And for nine chapters, they have no problem trusting God. Because guess what? They're under great duress. They have no control. They're under complete subjection. So what we find is when they found now that happens in verse 13, 14, 15, as we start to go forward, they start to get a little bit of freedom, start making their own choices. And what happens when we go and we do that and we're not walking with God and we start following our choices, guess what? Chapter number 14, what do we see? The Red Sea. You brought us out here to die. Uh, chapter 15, bitter water and mar. You brought us out here to die of thirst. 16, what do we see? You brought us out here to die. No food, manna. So literally nothing all the way up to 14. Now 14, 15, 16, and this is 17. Every time, fear, 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 fear. Their pattern on their own when they're not walking with God is fear related. And guess what? All of us can relate to that. Every single one of us, there's not a one of us that can't see this in us. And what happens is we look at this, this aspect of relating to it. It may not be, you might not be overwhelmed with fear on a regular basis, but everyone at some point or at some level can relate with what these people are doing, what we see with them. But see, these habits that are in us, they die hard because we're accustomed to living that way. I've given you the analogy a bunch of times. If you imagine if we have a cart, right, and that cart's attached to a horse and we're sitting on the cart, 
That's your soul. That's you, right? You're a born-again child of God. You're sitting on the cart of your lifetime. And you've got a horse, which is your flesh. And that flesh is pulled on this same old course for years and years and years and years and years. You follow the course of the prince and the power of the air. You've lived in your flesh. Prior to getting saved, you set a course. Right? I had 34 years of living the way I lived before. So I knew how to sin, no problem. I knew how to cuss, no problem. I knew how to drink, no problem. I knew how to fight, no problem. I knew how to lie, cheat, steal, all those things. Dude, I was so well good at that stuff. I had a great path already lined up. And I didn't have to teach my flesh to do those things. I never even have to try. I didn't have to keep on the course of lying and cheating and stealing. I could take my hands off that wheel, take, just drop the reins, and my flesh would follow that path with no effort at all. Right. But then God saved me. And my spirit is saved, and my heart and my desire is to do right. And I'm going, okay, body, now we're going this way. And my body's going, no, I like this path. I like this path. Oh, no, 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 I like this path, right? Because this one's easy, man. The course is already laid. The ruts are in the ground. The cart's easy to pull. It doesn't require any effort or any thought. But now I'm going to change my course. And when I change that course, it's going to take conscious effort. Die to myself. Mortify your flesh. Deal with this flesh that you're struggling with. And all of us are dealing with it. But guess what? If I stay on this course and I stay holding those reins and I keep pulling and pulling and pulling, I can teach my flesh to have a new route. Amen. And I can establish a new course. If I run that course enough times, then when I used to lie, now I can be honest. When I used to cheat, now I'll be honest. That's the same word. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> But we, got, we get a new course, right? We set a new course. Amen. And that's the cool thing about it is the fact that God wants to have us on that course. And the great thing is he's trying to help us the whole time. The pillar of clouds going, hey, this is the way to righteousness. This is the way. Pay attention here. Take your eyes off the world because they're going to take you on that old course, right? And so we've got to constantly keep our eyes on him. God's trying to us, right? Verse 4, Moses cried unto the Lord, saying, What shall I do unto this people? They be almost ready to stone me. Now, most of us, if people want to stone us, we're like, okay, biggest and toughest, let's fight. Who is it? Who's going to, right? We want to handle it. We want to face off of these people. We want to fight or argue our case. I want you to see what he did. He went directly to God. He doesn't fight. He doesn't argue. He doesn't defend himself. He goes directly to to God. Is he in his fear? Um, is he fear in his flesh? You can tell based upon what he says. They're about to stone me, God. I need some help here. I'm in a tough situation. Could you, could you help me out here? But this, is, this, is a, this, this aspect of finding counsel from God is so important. Now, it's not a, our emotions are an important part of who we are, no doubt about it. And we don't want to eliminate our emotions or our emotional responses. But we got to remember we can't allow them to control us, right? The course that I choose, the route that I'm going to take, needs to be established based upon my faith, not based upon what I feel. And most of us react in our emotions. When we react in our emotions, it always takes us the wrong way. You can't look back in your life and make a purely emotional decision without guidance from God and not see that it turned out ultimately wrong. You can't follow it. Because your, your emotions will always take you towards what you feel and what you want. And that feeds the flesh. And you know where the flesh wants to be? Back on this course right over here. He wants to be back on the same old path. We find ourselves surrounded by fear and confusion. We have to stop and recognize where this influence is coming from. 365 times in the Bible it tells us not to be afraid. Either fear not or fear not or be not afraid. 365 times, one for every day of the year. So fear is not something we're supposed to cling to and hold to and allow to guide us. It's the worst thing we can possibly do. But we understand, if we understand the fact that fear is not our guide or not to be our guide, and we find ourselves following that as our guide, we have to think, who is the author of this story? 
right? The Bible teaches me in 1 Corinthians 14, 13, it says that God is not the author of confusion. So if we clearly see that God is an, God is an author of peace, then we can recognize if it's not God that's the author of our story that we're living, then it's our enemy, right? And he's a really good writer. Boy, he can create all kinds of scenarios in our minds. We can come up with some creative stuff. Any of us creative? Holy guacamole, man. <laughs> By the end of the story, it's like, I mean, we don't even, they've gone off a cliff. They're in, the, in a hole somewhere. They're drowning. Who knows what's going on? We create these crazy stuff because these stories, these principles, this idea takes advantage of our weakness and our emotional sensitivity. Do we want to give Satan control of our lives and surrender ourselves to our emotions and spiral into a pit of despair? Or do we want to trust God in the face of uncertainty because we know that he's with us? Right? There will be those days when you will be tested. There's no doubt about it. It's a principle that God does again and again and again. You will be tested, and you're not going to know what to do. But that's okay. <laughs> that's perfectly okay. Because guess what? He does. Amen. God has the answer. And instead of searching our mind and our experiences to find the answer, why don't we search his word? Because guess what? Every scenario you can possibly imagine or come up with, there is an answer in that book. And it walks us through and shows us. The Old Testament, as we've told you, the Old Testament is a picture book of our lives. The New Testament is the word study where you learn a principle and a concept is taught to you in word, but you want to turn around and use that principle and apply it to a picture book. The Old Testament is a picture book of the New Testament. And when you find a principle here in the, Old, in the New Testament, you can apply it to a story, for example, in the Old Testament. And the two work together to intrinsically and beautifully teach us the truth that we need to apply. James 1, 3 through 5 says this, knowing this, that the trying, which is the testing, the, te the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing, right? So he's saying, look, let your testing develop you and mature you emotionally, but more importantly, spiritually, so that you become the person that God intends for you to be. Verse 5, he says this, and if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and abradeth not, and it shall be given him. It says, look, God wants to give us the knowledge, right? God is ready, willing, and able with the information that we need, with the guidance that we need. It's about our problem is that we're not turning to the right source. We turn to our neighbor or our friend, right? People find themselves struggling through a hard time, and what do they do? They turn to people that are going through the same hard times, right? It's a ridiculous concept. God has the answers. Matthew 7, 7 says, ask and it shall be given you, right? Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. In our word strong study, we've looked at the fact we talk about the key of David that we see in the book of Revelations. And it says that key, which is a love of the word of God, it says it opens, it opens things that no man can open and it closes things no man can close. He says here, you want to know? God will open it to you. You want to understand God's heart? He will open it to you. He'll show it to you. He'll show it to you. The answers are in this word. Verse 5, And the Lord said unto Moses, Go on before the people and take with thee of the elders of Israel and thy rod wherewith thou smitest the river. Take in thine hand and go. So we, hear, so that we see here that the instructions always lead to action. He specifically instructs him, but it always leads to action, right? It's one thing to know what to do, and it's another thing to do it, Right? Well, many of us can know how we should handle a situation. I know I should have done this. So how did it go? You talk to some of your friend on the phone. Oh, man, how'd your day go? Uh, well, you know, I was talking to my coworker, and, you know, he said this, and the next thing you know, I said this, and then I said that, and the next thing you know, I was like, dude, I'm going to 
<laughs> you know, it just didn't go, it didn't end up the way I, you know, I know I should have said this, and I should have said that, and I should have shown him some love, and, uh, but I didn't, right? We know what to do. The problem is we don't many times do it. There are a lot of people in our world that want to have an academic understanding of who God is. They want to study God's word. There's a guy I met at the gym, and he's in seminary. And, buddy, he's telling me all the stuff that he's doing. But he, I was talking to him about what I do, and I'm like, you know, man, sharing our faith and stuff. He said, well, I'm more, on the, I'm more on the academic side, more the educational side, kind of like that. I'm like, oh, okay. So you know what to do. You're just not going to do it, right? <laughs> That's what it says. Because it's one thing to know how to tell somebody what it means to be saved. Right. And it's another thing to actually take the risk of te- that step of faith to do it, right? I can sit back and go, man, brother, I can tell you what to do. But unless I take a step of faith, I'm not fulfilling what God's intended me to do. It's great to have biblical knowledge. I'm not telling you not to. It's the the foundation of our life. But if you don't let it go from here to here, man, you're blowing it. Because God is looking not only at our words, but our deeds, man. Our deeds. How do we live our lives? Are we hearing the instructions of God and taking action? Do we read his word? Or hear a message and actually apply it? Do we allow God's teaching to affect our behavior? How many of us are guilty of sitting in church, hearing a message, being convicted of it, and going, you know what? I am making a change in my life. I'm doing it. Today's my day. But between here and the parking lot, you lose that. (laughs) You're in the car and you're like, what are we having for lunch? (laughs) Next thing you know, you're snacking on french fries, got cheese on your face, and you're like, yeah, man, let's rock on. Right? I'm not the only one, right? We do. We forget. Verse 6. Behold, I will stand before thee there upon the rock in Horeb, and thou shalt smite the rock, and there shall come forth, come water out of it, and the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. So not only is God giving specific instructions on where to go, but he's actually guiding him. We see he guides him all the way to that location. God doesn't just tell him what to do and then leave him alone. He actually walks with him through the process. Through his spirit and his word, God is instructing him right? He's instructing us. He empowers us. He supports us, right? He guides us through the process because God's development in us, it's a purpose, the fact that he's like a parent, right? He is a parent. As parents, we want our kids to succeed, right? If you don't have kids yet, man, I'm telling you, when you have kids when they're first born, man, just sitting up, you know, they sit him up when you, I mean, literally, I remember our, our, we had our son, I remember when we were sitting in the, literally, my wife had just given birth, which was 24 hours of, un, I was like, she is so tougher than I'm much tougher than I am, it's unbelievable. I was like, you are superwoman. Um, but I mean, I looked at that and I was like, holy moly. And they brought him out and they set him up and he was like, no joke, this is him. They set him down a little thing and he was like this. And I was like, dude, look at him, he's sitting up. He's been alive, he's been out for like 30 seconds. That kid is strong, you see that? He's sitting up, that's awesome. I'm like, you know, look at that. That's a little success, but it's a big deal to me, right? I still remember it today. He was bright red and looked scary, but he was sitting up, man. (laughs) But God, as our father, wants to see us succeed, man. He wants to see us become more than we are. And many of us want to settle with with who we are. We're just going to settle with this life. And God goes, man, I want you to become so much more. So much more. I have an example with I'm going to share with you. I have my brother-in-law, the one that actually led my wife and I to Christ. His name is uh, uh, Tony. And Tony has, they've got seven, eight, nine kids, right? And, but one of them, the, the youngest, um, Trent, uh, they, they, these, this, is a, this is a sports family. They love sports, and they all play basketball and stuff like that. Well, Trent now is six foot nine and weighs 240 pounds and is starting at Penn State this year um, playing basketball. So that's, there he is. 
I hug him, it's about right there. <laughs> I'm like, hey, buddy, let me kiss your stomach, right? <laughs> and, and his dad, man, is his biggest fan. Our, every, every game, whether he plays or doesn't play, he's there in the stands. And he's cheering his son on. His son's success is his success. His son's failure is his failure. And see, God's a better father than any of us will ever be. So I want you to know, he wants you to succeed. And your success is his success. He's trying to push you outside of yourself, outside of your fears, outside of your doubts, outside of all of the stuff that you walk around and carry that the devil lies to you about and whispers in your ear because he wants to derail you, he wants to distract you, he wants to stop you from doing what God wants to do in your life. But God's going, hey, listen, I have more for you. I have more for you. We're to be there for our children, to watch them succeed in encouragement, correction, right, teaching, but sometimes just listening. Sometimes as a parent, one of the greatest things we can do is listen to our kids, even when they're little. My dad used to do this thing when I used to go, I, I had a concern, and he'd go like this. While I'm talking, the whole time. You know, he may as well have gone, blah, 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 blah. I mean, he may as well have been. Because in my mind, I'm like, he doesn't care about what I say, right? And we had a rough relationship for a long time. Praise God, my dad's now saved. Our relationship's amazing now. But what happens as parents, we're making a huge impact on our kids. And we need to listen to them. Because what happens is it shows them that they're valued. It shows them that they maybe have some ideas. And what's really cool is if you listen, sometimes they'll tell you things. You'll be like, dang, where'd that come from? Pretty smart. Pretty smart. Right? So God wants to see us succeed. While the Lord is developing Moses, he's also working and developing leaders. Because we see here he does it in the sight of the elders. Reason being, because there's going to come a time when Moses is going to need to learn how to depend on these men. We see also that Moses goes out and he does exactly what he's told. And guess what? He gets the promised result. God promises us results in the Bible. He says, if you'll do it this way. Husbands, wives, you want to have a relationship? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And, women, and wives, reverence your husband. He says, look, if you learn how to have love and respect, guess what? You can have a balanced relationship. You want to know what your roles are in your relationship? They're laid out in the Bible. You want to know how to, what it means to be a child and how to reverence your family and reverence your mom and dad? It's laid out for you. You want to know how to be an employee? It's laid out for you. Anything you can possibly imagine, God's given us guidance. Our problem is that we don't go to the source. As we look at what God told Moses to do, it's not, isn't it curious that he tells him to go out and he tells him to strike a rock, right? Wouldn't you think he'd be like, go dig a hole? That's normally where you do. You dig a well, right? Or he just says, oh, well, let me find you. There's a, there's a hidden spring. But why does he tell him the rock? There's a very specific reason. Let's consider what Paul said when he recounted this journey in 1 Corinthians 10.4. 1 Corinthians 10.4, Paul said this, And did all drink and same, the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. That rock was Christ. The rock is a picture of Christ. Ephesians 2.20 tells us this, And are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Right? Matthew 7, verses 24 through 27, tell us of the fact that we're not to build ourselves our house upon the sand, but build it upon the, the rock. The rock is a picture of our Lord. He is the foundation of our faith. That's where we stand. We don't stand upon our beliefs or what we think we know. We stand upon the word of God and the truth of the word of God, not upon our emotions or what we think is going on. The people of Israel are desperately seeking salvation from, all the, from their all-consuming thirst and are coming to the rock, right? And in coming to the rock, guess what? They're coming to the right place. 
That's where you and I need to be going. The rock here is a source of living water, of life-giving water. But Jesus is the, is the source of living water, right? On a spiritual sense and on a physical sense, yes, physically their being, their need is being met. We saw with the manna. That was a physical manifestation and a physical need being met, but it was also a spiritual manifestation of Christ. We see again here in the rock and the water is a spiritual manifestation of God's provision. John 4, 14, Jesus said this, but whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. In order to receive the water, you have to go to the source. And what is the source? The source is the rock, the rock, which is Jesus. And if we want to receive the living water, provides eternal life, we must go to the source, Christ. John 7, 37 and 38 says this, In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. Whosoever, man, that's anybody, anybody. He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. The world thirsts for God and is trying to quench its thirst with everything it can possibly figure out to stick in there. And it is never going to work. No matter how much you search this world, that thirst will never be fulfilled. On Wednesday night, there was a young man here who was raised in Saudi Arabia and raised in Lebanon. It was Tyler's friend. And Tyler brought him here to church and praised God after the service when we talked to him. He's like, look, man, I've been in Muslim countries my whole life. I've seen this firsthand. I've been in mosques. I've been in all these places. I've been in 65 countries all over the Middle East. And he said, but there's always been something missing. And I said, I told him my testimony. I said, you know what? Jesus Christ wants a relationship with you. If I could show you how he could have that, would you like to see it? He said, that's why I'm here. Amen. He came to get a pecan pie from Tyler, and he left with Jesus, praise God. <laughs> so the good news is the fact that he came to the source, man, who knew when this bank was being built? Only God knew that when this bank was built back in 2001 that it was intended that Omar would walk in here from Saudi Arabia, end up in Stallings, North Carolina, stand in an old bank right in front of where they used to do the teller, taking the money and receiving Jesus Christ as his Savior. Only God. Amen. But it's the source. It's always the same source. It's in different locations. It doesn't matter where you are, but God will come where you are. We saw that with the man. I mean, he'll bring it down to ground and put it right before you. Thirst, thirst. Some of us in the room, man, we can test the fact that God quenches our thirst. But bottom line is, so many people are looking for meaning. They're looking for answers. They're looking for fulfillment. They're looking for peace. They're looking for all these things, and they won't find them in the world. I can guarantee you that. They'll never find that sense of balance. They're dying of thirst, but they don't know what will quench it. How many of us have ever been someplace or done something? When you, maybe when you're a kid and you're out playing, right? And you're just like, don't go in, and you don't go in, and you don't go in, and you just keep, it's hot and you're thirsty. You just keep playing, and you just keep playing. And you just keep playing, and you're just getting more and more thirsty. Eventually, your mouth's just like, you're like, you're like eating cotton. You're so thirsty, and you come in the house, you're just like, I need something to drink. Oh, and you're so thirsty. I mean, you're desperate for it. That's the world outside of the church, man. That's the world of most people that you meet. They can sell that they're all happy, but they're thirsting. They're thirsting for that peace, man. They're thirsting for that belonging. They're thirsting for that void that's in their heart to be filled with true joy instead of things that will do nothing more than make them feel more lost. The problem with the world is the fact is they're caught up in circumstances just like we are. And as long as we focus our attention on the physical world, all it does is distract us from the spiritual world. And that's one of the things that we deal with every single day. 
right? The Bible talks about the fact that in Matthew 6, 24, he says, um, no man can serve two masters. Either you will love, he says, either you will hate the one and love the other, or else you will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. It's like watching two shows. If you don't have a DVR, you ever try to watch two shows simultaneously? Click, click. Oh, okay. Commercial. Oh, okay. Oh, oh. You don't know what's going on in either show. Eventually, you're just like, man, I just got to choose one to watch it, right? Yeah, is anyone else, okay, is anyone else guilty of trying to watch two shows at the same time? Yes, your spouse maybe, right? And you're like, just pick one for goodness sakes. Let's watch something, right? I'm the one, unfortunately. I'm the hunter. Um, but we're, we're doing that, and it's a silly concept. But you know what? That's the thing. God wants us to be focused upon one thing, which is him. And the devil says, look, no, no, no. There's so many other things that you can be focused on, things that will draw our attention away. And one of the most powerful things that he uses is this. You ever been in a conversation with somebody sitting talking to them? You're there in person. And they're like, yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, hold on. One, one, yeah, one minute. Yeah. Yeah, I know you drove over to me. Yeah, I know. I know you came here to see me. But this guy's on the other side of the country, and I mean, he hasn't done any effort at all. But he didn't text me, so I've ever saw him. Oh, I got, oh, I got a picture I need to send him. Hold on. Did, I'll be back. And just, just give me a couple minutes. You ever experience that? You're like, dude, I'm here. I came to your house to see you, and you're going to talk. This guy's more important. It's notifications, man. I'm telling you, what I did on my phone, I turn off my notifications. Turn them off. You go look when you want to go look, because otherwise what happens? It controls you. You have a notification on all your apps. Every time, bing, 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 kong, 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 you're nonstop. Why don't you decide when you look instead of having your phone decide when you look, right? That's just my own little thing. Y'all deal with it what you want. Um, <laughs> the power of distraction is an, important, is an important tool that the devil uses against us, and it is a destructive one because we get manipulated by our circumstances instead of controlling our circumstances through faith. If I trust God, I could look at the phone whenever I choose to instead of when the phone tells me to look. Okay? The Israelites are completely distracted, and as a memorial of their unbelief, God named the location of the rock Massa and Meribah. Look back here at this verse. It says here in, where am I at? Seven. All right. There we go. Yeah. Did we already do that? You got me? Anyway, he names it Mass. I don't know where I put the verse, but... It's in here somewhere. I got nine pages. We'll work it. But the whole thing is, he names it these two places. There it is on things. Okay? So he sees that he names it Maribot, uh, Matha and Meribah. The whole point of this, he does it because of unbelief. Okay? He names it those names, and it's a memorial of their problems of faith. And we look in Deuteronomy 6.16, Deuteronomy 9.22, and Deuteronomy 33.8. Each one of those are referencing back to those places, and it's all about their lack of faith. So the memorial that they leave on this location is that it's a picture, a memorial of their lack of faith and their fear. And if you and I look through our lives, we can all go back to memorials that we know times in our lives where we trusted our fear, we did things based upon our emotions, and we're sorry for it. But bottom line is that is a marker in our history of a memorial of fear. Then there may be others where you go, man, this was a time where I really had great faith. Ultimately, you and I are, we're, guess what? We're leaving a memorial. You're on this earth for a limited amount of time. And you think what's amazing is the fact that so many of us live our lives based upon circumstance, 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 circumstance. And it's so exhausting because you go from crisis to crisis to crisis to crisis. And what, what faith does is it gives you an opportunity to trust in God. Many of us struggle with these things, and we might be struggling with something even now as we speak. There may be something in your life where you're struggling with it. 
a memorial of fear. But bottom line is God wants it to be a matter of faith. It's coming to the rock, right? Jesus is the answer. He's the one that quenches that thirst. And when we find ourselves in these, these, these points of fear, these points of, of need and these points of desire, God's saying, look, I've got something for you. Ephesians 5, 25 and 26 says this, Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Check out verse number 26, that he might sanctify it and cleanse it, the church, with the washing of the water by the word. His word is our source of living water, and we need to be regularly drinking from it, every one of us, also allowing it to cleanse us. You know what? And if you're struggling right now with whatever it is you're dealing with, the sooner you go to the rock, the sooner you go to Christ, the sooner you can get the victory. You want to be cleansed? You won't cleanse yourself in the world. You won't cleanse yourself through these circumstances. You won't cleanse yourself through the surroundings of people that are trying to give you worldly advice. Get godly advice. Learn. Remember the man in Mark 9, 24 who had a son who was in demonic possession? This is what he said. He said, And straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. If you're there and you go, you know what, but I'm just not ready to come to God. I'm not sure. I've got fear. I've got all this stuff. Great. Why don't you give it to God and say, look, you know what, help my unbelief. I'm not where I need to be, but you know what, I have a desire to. He says, I believe, but help mine unbelief. Bring me. Lord, and he says, cast your care upon me, for I careth for you. He says, I'm the rock. Come to the source. He's ready, willing to help us. How will we, how will we be remembered? Will it be said that we, were a, that we were a reactionary person who went from crisis to crisis? Or will stories be told of how we were a person of faith that trusted God through everything? What will we leave behind? A memorial of faith? Or a memorial of fear. The way we live will determine the answer to that question. Right? You want to know how you write your life? You don't write it in words. You write it in deeds. How do you choose? Do you walk with God? Does he direct your path? Do you have faith? Do you have a true joy that lives with you and it doesn't affect it by your circumstance? Or do you go reactionary? based upon circumstances and the fears of this world. Because a majority of the planet, a majority of people probably sitting in this room, we've been through time periods in our lives when we live based solely upon our emotions and we're full of regrets for the things that we've done and the things that we've said. But if we could learn to walk by faith, instead of reacting in the moment, we could step back and have God's word come from our mouth instead of our emotions. And we get that path, and we sit over here, and we don't have to pull quite as hard on the horse as we used to. And if we stay on course long enough, we can actually just relax and let God lead our path. He wants to use us, man. James 1.25 says this, But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. You hear the word of God, you're in the word of God, let it change you, let it affect you, and live like you do. And guess what? You'll leave a memorial of fear. So instead of just knowing how to live for God, it's time we take it from here, and move it to here, and we live it. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for today. Thank you for our message. Uh, Lord, I know I went a little bit long, and God, I just did what you told me. And uh, Father, I'm thankful for your work. In my heart, Lord, if no one else got anything else from this message, Lord, I know that I did. 
Help us, Lord, not to live in our fears, not to walk based upon that, and leave a memorial to our families, to our friends, to the people that we know. Lord, help us live, leave a memorial of faith which gives glory to you. God, that's what this life is about. You gave us this life that we might live it to bring glory to your name. And Lord, I pray that you'll help each one of us to not be just doers, but to be doers of your word. Thank you for what you've done in our hearts. In Jesus' name, with our heads still bowed and with our eyes still closed, if you're here today, you're online, you're in the overflow room, wherever you are, and you say, you know, Pastor, I, I don't know that I have that peace, but I, but I want it. Guys, every single one of us is born with a God-shaped void in our heart. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Every single one of us struggles with the same issue. And God loves us in spite of ourselves. The Bible says, that, uh, but the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. A gift that God gives, knowing that we're separated from God because of our sin. And, the, and God works through our sin. God sent his son to build a bridge of two pieces of wood from a lost world to him. And when he died on that cross 2,000 some years ago, he died for the sins of the world. And he offers that gift to us. But a gift has to be received. You can't just know about a gift. You have to make a choice to receive it and make it personal. And I'm going to tell you right now is if you've never personally received that gift, no matter where you are, if you're listening to this to on, our, on a recording and it's months from when it was preached, it is irrelevant. It does not take a preacher. It's you and God. And he wants to do a work in you. If you were created and you are alive, he wants to be with you. That all men would come to be the knowledge of the Lord and the Savior. He loves you. And I'm going to give you an opportunity to receive that gift. It's not a special prayer. It's not a ceremony. It is a matter of the heart. The Bible says, for with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. If you want to receive that gift, you can pray this prayer in your heart and mind and receive it right now. Repeat after me in your heart and mind if you want to receive Christ as your Savior. Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. I've done plenty of things wrong. I've hurt others. I've hurt myself. And most importantly, I've hurt you. And I know I'm divided from you. But I'm asking you right now, in the best way I know how, to come into my heart to save my soul, to cleanse my sin, and give me a home in heaven. Lord, I trust you. I give you my life. Thank you for working in me, and I will see you in heaven one day. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.